Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Each week during this series, uh, Tyler's been sharing uh, this chart to kind of show you um, specifically what we're talking about each different week. And for this week, we're going to focus on the sphere of morality. We're going to talk about guilt in particular and how oftentimes the guilt that you and I carry around keeps us from fully experiencing the gift of grace and forgiveness that God has for each and every one of us. You know, a simple Google search will provide you with thousands of examples of articles and research studies about guilt, Uh, 20 things to stop feeling guilty about, or what are your guilt triggers? Um, It is safe to say and probably assume that many of us deal with this struggle of feeling guilty. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like I am constantly beating myself up for things that I wish I would have said or done or not said or done, and I'm just in this never-ending cycle. And if I am the only one that feels that way today, it's probably why I got stuck talking to you about the topic of guilt today, because I feel like I'm quite an expert at living this out. Um, for example, uh, just a morning in the day, a day in the life of Melinda, um, earlier last week, I had set my alarm for 5.15. I was going to get up before the sun, before the children, and get my workout done. And that, when that morning, the next morning came, or what felt like the middle of the night came, and my alarm went off, I immediately thought, no, absolutely not. This is not happening. And I turned my alarm off. And just an hour later, when my alarm went off again and I had no choice but to wake up, I immediately sighed. And it was a sigh of disappointment in myself. I felt guilt that I hadn't followed through on the plan that I had set for myself. I glance at my phone just a few minutes later and I decide to look at my email really quickly. And the very first message that I see starts with the words, hey, I haven't heard back from you. I feel guilt again. I let someone down. I walk out to the kitchen and I see my daughter's lunchbox sitting on the kitchen counter because she forgot to take it to school. I feel guilt because I didn't remind her. I hop on social media and I see pictures from a recent social engagement that I made up a really lame excuse to get out of because I didn't want to make small talk with people I didn't want to make small talk with. I feel guilty now that I didn't go because the pictures look so fun. I am not even an hour into my day and all I have felt and all I have experienced is guilt. I think that there's a chance that some of you can relate to that. And if you couldn't immediately relate to one of the things I already said, here's a list of a few more things that you and I feel guilty about. We feel guilty for gossiping. We feel guilty for not calling our parents enough. We feel guilty for re-gifting Christmas presents. We feel guilty for messing up our diet. We feel guilty about that overflowing inbox, being rude to someone. Did anyone have road rage on the way here? You should feel guilty. No, I'm just joking. You should. Maybe you should. Uh, we feel guilty for having a messy house. Has anyone ever gone to someone, someone's house and not 
have heard a comment while you're there about a room or a wall or a shelf or something, they are just mortified that you're seeing. We feel guilty about that. And the last one, we feel guilty because we know we're not supposed to feel guilty. So now we feel guilty for feeling guilty and the cycle never ends. I think in general, even though we all deal with guilt, I think in a lot of circles, um, women often talk about their guilt, um, sometimes more often than men, um, specifically around the concept of mom guilt. I think mom guilt is a whole culture that needs to be canceled right about now. I would really appreciate that because moms feel guilty because we are expected to work like we don't have jobs Sorry, no, we're not. We're expected to work like we don't have kids, but raise kids like we don't have jobs. We're called a Karen if we're too demanding, but if you don't stick up for your child, you're not being a good advocate for them. You're either bossing and controlling so that nothing falls through the cracks, or you're called flighty and absent-minded if you're not just the right amount of being a helicopter mom. There is mom guilt over home-cooked meals, too much screen time, not playing with your kids enough, and so much more. And I'm not at all implying that moms deal with that guilt more than dads, because I do believe that dads deal with it just as much. I think moms just talk about it a little bit more. And whether you're a parent or not, we all have our own unique story with guilt and what that looks like in your life. At the very core or at the heart of why we feel guilty is a deep-seated desire to be perfect. That is the standard that we have all set for ourselves. We think that we are supposed to be perfect, and so when we're not, we feel that we have completely failed at life. When we're not perfect, we beat ourselves up. We replay our weaknesses in our mind over and over again, just wishing we could have done something differently and been more perfect. Society simply tells us to get rid of the guilt. Just stop thinking about it. Just flip that switch and take back your mind. It's that simple, right? But then we do everything we can, and no matter how hard we try, we just cannot take back our mind. And what we don't realize is that is often the problem in the first place, is that we have believed the lie that we have the power to get that guilt out of our lives, when that is simply not the case, because only God has the power to do that for us. So when it comes to mom guilt, I really want you to hear me say this. If I was a perfect mom, my kids would not have a need for a perfect God. The shortcomings that I have as a mother, and trust me, there are plenty, those shortcomings that I have create space and margin in the lives and in the hearts and souls of my children for God to step in and fill those many voids that I simply was never supposed to fill. If you were a perfect student or athlete or boss or coach or dad or sibling or friend or neighbor, if you were perfect at anything, the people who you serve and lead and love would not need a perfect God. We have got to stop striving for perfection because that is simply a standard that you and I will never meet. The truth is there are too many things that you and I feel guilt about. And the things that we already talked about, what I hope we can do today is reframe some of those things as false guilt. Because the truth is, while I feel really bad about a lot of those things, 
When I call them guilt, that implies that I need to turn away from that behavior. And the truth is, there's probably going to be another day sometime soon when I turn my alarm off and I don't wake up early to, wake, to work out. So false guilt has us simply feeling bad about ourselves, showing ourselves pity, saying, woe is me, I'm so terrible. But if we can reframe our guilt and focus on only feeling that way when it comes to some of the things we really know show disobedience to God, let's call it true guilt that we can see as conviction, it will help us know when we need to turn away from the behavior that has caused that feeling to start with. False guilt is the things that we listed at the end of the day. They have me feeling bad about myself. They have me showing myself pity. Those things make it impossible for us to look in the mirror and see anything other than our faults, our failures, our disappointments. All we see is everything that we have done wrong. But do you know what? When God looks at us, he sees none of that. He sees you only as his daughter or his son who he wishes spent more time with him. But when we are not capable or able to see ourselves in the way that God sees us, We make it impossible for us to move closer to him and we simply move further away from him and further away from the guilt-free life that God wants each of us to experience. A lot of times um, this false guilt is what Satan uses to pull our attention away from God and he loves nothing more than to steal our joy and we have to stop letting him do that. As a result of the sin in our lives, we feel guilty. And this kind of guilt we want to reframe as conviction because conviction tells us that we are going to do something about the guilt that we are feeling. It's not a sin to feel guilty. Oftentimes feeling guilty is actually a byproduct or a result of the sin in our lives. Conviction is a legitimate, healthy emotion that we should simply never ignore. It's a notion or a friendly reminder that something we've done or said probably wasn't okay and possibly showed some disobedience in our lives. It doesn't mean that when we say we're going to turn away from this wicked behavior that we then have to be perfect and never mess up again because trust me, we will mess up again. But it simply means that we learn how to turn to Jesus in those moments and how to ask him to step into our hearts and step into our lives and help us keep him close to us as we walk with him along the way. When we realize that this guilt that we're feeling is conviction, we have this incredible opportunity to allow God in these moments to lead us to a better understanding of the cross. The cross, the whole purpose of the cross was so that you and I wouldn't have to feel this way. And yet here we are carrying our guilt around, not accepting the gift of grace and forgiveness that God is offering us. So here's how I wanna suggest or challenge you to reframe these feelings that come up when you know something happened that I don't feel great about, but I don't really know what I'm feeling or what I'm supposed to do with it. Here's at least describe the difference between guilt and conviction, okay? So the first one would be, maybe you're thinking like, how long am I gonna feel this way? Well, if it's guilt, and that's as far as you're gonna get, you're probably gonna feel this way forever which nobody wants to experience. But if you can reframe how you're feeling and turn it into conviction, there's a chance that you will only feel this way until you take care of the sin in your life. The second thought you might have is, what does this produce? What's the point of how I feel right now? The only point and 
purpose of guilt is anguish. And that's not what God wants for us. Because if we can see it and reframe it as conviction, it can produce a healthy relationship with God when we're talking to him and going to him to share about the ways that he is stirring things up inside of us. The last question might be, what step do I need to take? Maybe you're not sure what you're supposed to do. Well, if it's guilt, honestly, who knows? Because you're probably just going to sit in that forever, but we don't want you to do that. That's not what God wants for us. So again, if you can reframe it as conviction, you have an opportunity to confess your sins, to ask God to help you turn away from that sinful pattern and walk, ask him to keep walking with you daily. And we're going to come back to that in just a couple of minutes. Colossians chapter 2 says this. It says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. God declared victory on the cross and yet you and I have not fully are not fully living our lives in a way that show that we are free from the guilt we're not supposed to feel that anymore God's solution for the guilt that you and I carry around has absolutely nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus God's solution for the guilt that you and I carry was the cross as Jesus willingly took the punishment for every single one of us. Even though Jesus lived a perfect life, he lived the only perfect life that would ever exist on this side of heaven. And in spite of that, he was still convicted as guilty. He was cast out. He was ridiculed. He was called blasphemous. He was beat on, spit on, and he was nailed to a cross all because he said, take my life on behalf of theirs. Jesus died in our place and he died in our sins so that we could remain in right relationship with God, never being separated from him. Since the moment that sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, everything that happened from that point forward would lead to the moment when Jesus died on the cross to take the place for our sins. He gave up his life knowing that that was the only way that you and I could be saved. The only way that our lives can one day lead to heaven and not simply to an eternal death was for Jesus to pay the price for our sins. I am alive today because of Jesus. I'm spiritually alive, and I hope that you would describe yourself in that way as well. And this concept that we're talking about right now, it's known as substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary gives us the understanding that Jesus took our place. He was a substitute for us so that we wouldn't have to experience what he experienced. That second word, atonement, simply means righting a wrong. Jesus acknowledged that he knew, God knew that we would be sinners. God knew that we would come to this earth and we would make mistakes and we would need to turn away from our wicked ways. And he had Jesus take our place so that we could stay in right relationship with God. Martin Luther referred to this theology as the great exchange. Jesus took our place. He suffered our pain so that we wouldn't have to. 
There have been so many movies created and storylines that have an example of the kind of self-sacrificial love that we're talking about this morning. Not nearly to the same degree, of course, but everybody loves a good story where there's an unexpected, unsung hero at the end that swoops in and saves somebody's life or takes their place or saves a city or saves a kingdom. Let's talk through some, just a few examples, and there are plenty more. We've got some pictures here. We've got Harry Stamper in Armageddon. There's Geppetto in Pinocchio. There's Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. Tony Stark in Avengers. Bing Bong in Inside Out. And Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy. Now be honest, how many of you, when you look at even just one of those characters, you feel like you're taken right back to the moment when you were watching the movie and you have still not emotionally recovered from what happened in those moments? Now, I want you to take how you felt in that exact moment, and I want you to times it by at least a million, times it by infinity, and realize that that is what Jesus did for you. So are we as moved as we are when we think about those movies, when we think about the cross? Because we should be. That is how much Jesus wanted you to experience God's love. He was willing to give up everything for every single one of us. And that should overwhelm us and completely blow our minds. I'm going to read another scripture passage. It's Romans chapter 3. Here's what it says. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, this is a gift that God is offering us. Have you accepted that gift Jesus took our place so that we could live guilt-free lives. And our ability to not only understand this, but to truly believe it to be true for ourselves is called justification. Uh, The moment that Jesus died on the cross was the moment that this possibility of a right relationship with God even became an option for any of us. There's nothing that you and I can do to cancel the love that God has for us. And I hope that you hear me when I say that. There is nothing you can do to cancel God's love for you. Justification is what makes our relationship with God different than all earthly relationships that you and I will ever have. It gives us this understanding that our lives are not supposed to be defined by our sin, but our lives can be transformed by our sin. There is a very big difference between being defined by something and transformed by something. When we're not able to accept and to believe for ourselves that God has paid, that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins, there's a good chance that you and I are simply going to just continue wallowing in our guilt. And if we don't address the guilt that we're feeling, oftentimes that guilt can become condemnation. 
It's what happens for when, for whatever reason, we just don't believe that God's forgiveness is for us. I'm sure it's for all of you, but for me, I, I don't know about that. We believe this lie, and this mindset has the power to hold us captive. It keeps us from the life that the cross was meant to allow us to live, a life of hope and healing and saving because of the cross. That is what Jesus wants for us. I want to read Romans um, 8, a passage, um, so just listen closely. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None of that. None of it's allowed. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did so, he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer believe or follow our own sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus, only a life of peace. Have you accepted that life of peace that God is offering you today? A lot of times what keeps us from accepting this, this life of peace, um, which is the forgiveness from God, um, is that we feel like we just can't let go of the past. We can't look to the future because we're so focused on what has already happened. And if that is you today, I want to encourage you and remind you that you can no longer change what has already happened, but you can change what is still in front of you. And that is a life that can be dedicated to living on fire for God in the way that he created us to live. When it comes to um, having these conversations about accepting the grace and forgiveness that God has for us, I feel like I quickly think of three things I hear most often from people who are, are kind of struggling to get over that hurdle or to, to, to push through that. So I want to talk with you the three things I hear most often, just in case there's someone in the room who resonates with one of these. The first would be, what I have done is too bad. There is no way God will forgive me for this. When I hear those words, I hear a lot of self-condemnation. I hear guilt that you have allowed to wallow for so long over your unforgivable sin, the thing that you think you've done in your life that is unforgivable, whether it's sexual immorality, lying, cheating, stealing, insert right there, whatever you need to. We all have our own that we could enter there. I want to challenge your thinking on that because any time that we claim or we think even for a second that what we've done is too bad, what we are unintentionally telling God is that the cross wasn't enough. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't enough to cover our sins. And that I don't think any of us really believe that. But I think if we're not careful, we, we cross that line of, of believing that lie that, that what we've done is too bad and it's simply not the case. The second thing that I hear often is, I haven't been punished enough for my sins to be forgiven. I think based on um, your upbringing, maybe what you were told, maybe what you learned, maybe what you, you heard as you were growing up, um, really because of human nature, we all believe that there should be a price or a penalty to pay for our actions, right? Because there's punishment, we're dealing with discipline in my home, and there are rules and expectations and consequences, right? That's how human nature is. 
We've been conditioned to seeing things that way. We feel this need and this desire to earn back God's favor. There must be something that we have to do in order to receive this gift of forgiveness, right? The the price must be so high. And you know what? The price is so very high, but the price has already been paid. The price was paid on the cross already for you, and it was paid by Jesus. And it wasn't paid so that you and I could just live a free life without thinking about our actions or feeling like we've got an unlimited number of get out of jail free cards, because that's not the case. Because you and I will continue to make mistakes and we will continue to feel like we've messed up. But what we get instead is this incredible opportunity to ask God to walk with us as we walk through those hard times, as we walk through those moments when we know that we've done something or said something that wasn't okay, we have the gift of God being right there with us in the deepest valleys that we will ever face. The third and final thing that I think I hear most often is the the sentence, um, I can't forgive God for what has happened in my life. And maybe you have said those words before, maybe you feel that way right now, Um, I'm not even going to pretend to know or to understand the unimaginable suffering and loss and pain that the people who are listening right now have gone through. But what I do love about this church is that in the midst of those painful moments, it's why we strive to be a place that is willing to sit with you in that pain. We're never going to rush you through it. We're never going to tell you you're not allowed to be angry. We're going to sit with you, but we're going to be ready and willing to walk with you as soon as you are ready to keep walking toward Jesus. So if you're here and you feel like you're holding on to some of that anger, resentment, frustration with God because of what he's had you walk through, all I want to do is ask you to try to surrender those feelings back to him, to give up control over your anger, your sadness, to simply lay those feelings down at his feet and ask him to replace those feelings with love and adoration for him. Because I think that as you work to soften your heart from thinking that you need to forgive God, he's gonna find a way for you to let some of that go and you're gonna experience his forgiveness as well. So you might be wondering what, you, what we do with this. Um, some of you have been in church your whole life and you, you understand what what it looks like to follow Jesus. But I want to lay out four very simple steps that I think most of us will come back to at least two or three of these steps on a pretty regular basis in our relationship and our walk with Jesus. And here are the four steps that I want to ask you to follow today. The first one is uh, to experience God's love. And when I say experience God's love, I mean believe that God's love is for you. God's love is all around you. It's in the people who are sitting near you. It's in this building. God's love is out in our community. God's love is everywhere in our lives. And sometimes our ability to see that for what it is is enough for us to understand a little bit of how much God loves us. That's something I think that you and I should do every single day. Look for opportunities to experience God's love. That's what he promised us. That's what he's offering us today. The second step is to confess and repent. This is also something that you and I will be doing for the rest of our lives because since we're human beings, the reality is we will be sinning for the rest of our lives, which means we should be confessing and repenting for the rest of our lives as well. And all this means is simply having an open conversation with God about the ways that you feel unsettled. The, the words that you spoke that you are not proud of, the habits that you have that you need to change, the behaviors 
that you see in yourself that you know are not heading you down the right path, confess and repent and ask God to keep walking through those things with you every step of the way. The third step is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, this is something that many of us do when we get in the water, but I think it's something that we kind of have to do every single day when we wake up, is to remind ourselves and do everything we can to tell the people around us that we have accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, and we're going to live every day trying to show that to the entire world around us. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe that's a conversation that you need to have about what that looks like in your life. And if that describes you, then step four might be a part of your journey right now as well, because step four is to be baptized. If you are ready for the very first time, uh, maybe you are ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Baptism is simply the step of obedience, uh, the public declaration that you make once you have accepted him as the Lord and Savior of your life. And we would love to have that conversation with you about what that looks like and how you can take that step here at Northeast. I want to challenge you to think through one uh, simple question as we um, start to uh, wrap up this morning. Um, Maybe you're not sure if you need to take one of these steps. Maybe you feel like you're not really sure if if guilt is something that you're wrestling with. Uh, Maybe you feel like you've accepted his grace and forgiveness, but you're not really sure if that's how you're living your life. So one simple question for you, is your love for Jesus motivated by grace or is it motivated by guilt? Do you love Jesus because you feel guilty for the things that you've done? Or do you love Jesus because you know about the free gift that he's given you, the grace and forgiveness that you have because of the cross? Here's what your life might look like if you live in a way that's motivated by guilt. You're more likely to hide your inadequacies, which might mean for some of us that there's something going on in our lives that we are not proud of, that we've told no one about. Maybe it's time for you to tell God. Maybe it's time for you to tell a trusted friend about something that's going on in your life. You hide your inadequacies. We feel unworthy. We are sure that this grace and forgiveness is not for us. And we second guess ourselves. We're just not sure if this is really an opportunity that's actually available for us. But here's what your life can look like if you live in a way that your love for Jesus is motivated by grace and forgiveness. You admit your mistakes. You're willing to talk about them. You're open with the ways that you're struggling to stay on on track. Maybe you have people in your life who are holding you accountable. You're talking to God about these things. Um, You know that in spite of your mistakes, God still got you and he's never leaving you. And you can't wait to tell others about it. There's this incredible thing that happens. uh, Some of you maybe have talked to someone when they're just really experiencing Jesus for the first time and they've got that fire about them. Why do we lose that? And I'm not saying everybody does, but I think that all of us have reached points or seasons in our relationship with God when we're just not quite as on fire as we were the first time we heard about him. What if we stayed on fire for God just as much as we were that first, very first day? That is what the, that's the kind of life that all of us have, and it's being offered to you right now from God himself. Satan wants nothing more than for every single one of us to be completely paralyzed by the guilt that we are feeling today. But we today and God wants nothing more for you than to fully surrender all of that guilt to him, to admit to him that you need his help, to admit that you are not perfect, therefore your standard for your life should not be perfection and you need him to fill in the gaps. That is what we're offering you today is a conversation, is an opportunity to listen to God's prompting in your heart and in your life And then act on it and be ready to take steps to make that happen in your own life. 
In Psalm 32, David writes about a season in his life when he was hiding from his sin. He was hiding from um, his inadequacies. He was hiding from the guilt and shame that he was facing on a daily basis. He was remaining silent. He wasn't confessing. He wasn't repenting. He wasn't telling God how he was feeling. And this psalm is so beautiful because it's all about his soul rejoicing in this newfound gift of grace and forgiveness that he has discovered. And he he can't help and he can't keep himself from singing about it. It really sums up perfectly everything that we have been talking about this morning. So in just a second, uh, Corbin is going to lead us through um, a worship song that our worship team wrote um, that is based on Psalm 32. And I just want to ask you and challenge you that as you read these lyrics, as you sing them out, believe this to be true and available to you today. God is just simply waiting for you to take that step to start the conversation, to accept the grace and the forgiveness and the freedom from the guilt that you're carrying around and you were never meant to. Let's worship together right now.